Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. As we continue our series in John called Raid the Darkness, Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, God is for His Creation. Join us in John chapter 1 verse 6 and chapter 18 verse 6. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Take your Bible out and turn to John chapter 6. Now we're in a new series. We're going, to take, uh, we're going to take this year and go through the Gospel of John. I'm going to break it up a bunch and we're going to in- inject a bunch of different things in between this series. But we're just in this first chapter of the Gospel of John. And uh, John chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 6. So John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So... Um, I just want to recap really quick where we've been over this last uh, few weeks. And John begins his story or his gospel, the story of Jesus, differently than the other gospels. The other gospels introduce Jesus. uh, They begin with the, the birth of a man, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And over time, their stories make clear that Jesus is... Different, a different kind of man, and gradually you become aware of just how different Jesus is. But John starts out different, and he is it's pretty fantastic. It's why his gospel is a lot of people's favorite gospel. He starts off with a cosmic, this profound truth about the word, or logos, who is literally the all in all. He was before time. So the way John introduces him and he's, re- he's related to God. He is God himself. He was responsible for everything being created. He's the source of life. And finally, he is here now ready for conflict and poised to win. And so John sort of wants to shock us. He wants to stun us kind of. So this morning, our journey through the Gospel of John, we're continuing to look at this magnificent cosmic idea of the Logos, or what most translators refer to as the Word. So last week, we talked about what the Word refers to. This rich and powerful Word has layers of meaning in Greek philosophy and Jewish theology basically refers to that cosmic entity that most every culture has an awareness of but struggles to name. So John takes that innate idea, he develops it, and he tells us that it is actually a who. The logos is a who. The word is a who. He tells us that it is responsible for creating the world. He tells us that it is the source of life, and then he brings it home by saying that this logos, this word, this light is active in the world today. And so today we're looking at the second part of what is usually referred to as John's prologue. And we're going to look at verses 6 through 18. Now there's a lot there, and I'm not going to get to all of it. Um, I'll, I'll come back to multiple things. But what we're going to find in this passage is, more deta- is a more detailed description of the who this word is. And what we'll see, is, uh, see John doing is really similar to what you've done before 
when you've introduced someone to your parents. Maybe you've done that before. It's an important thing to do. This section shows John making some introductions. He wants to connect two individuals, actually. He wants to begin a very important relationship. So John's gospel is about Jesus. There's no doubt. That's not a secret. But we're going to find out that it's not Jesus that John is introducing. (laughs) It's someone else. In fact, this section has a chain of three individuals that take part in a progressive introduction. First, the author of the book, John the Apostle. He introduces us to another John, John the Baptist. That person introduces us to Jesus. And then in turn, Jesus introduces us to God the Father. And what we're going to notice is that uh, as we follow this path of introductions, is that it's for our sake All these introductions are for our sake. We're being introduced actually to God. But it's also a model for us. And that's kind of the centerpiece of the red dot in the middle of the target for me today as we draw the truth out of the text. We're being shown how to make this introduction for others. And we're being invited to take part in the process. I really like it. It's rich and it's thick. And one of the great things about the way that John writes is that he creates more of a spiral than a straight line in his writings. His, 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 his writing kind of loops around over and over again until you finally kind of get it and get your arms around it. Well, that's a really hard way to preach. <laughs> so I'm just going to try my best to straighten John's loops and spirals out today. And I want to start by reading the whole passage, starting in verse 6 in John chapter 1. And then we're going to follow these characters as they take part in this brilliant introduction. John the Baptist, Jesus, and finally God himself. So let's read it together. And again, I, I just want to start this year off by reminding you over and over again. So if you get tired of it, I don't know what to say. Um... You need to have your Bible with you, all right? You need to make it a habit, set it as a goal. It needs to be in your hand. If it's on your phone or your tablet, that's amazing. That's fine. That's, I'm good with that, but I want you to have it. So if you don't have one in your hand, reach under that black chair in front of you and get one of those out, all right? John chapter 1, because you're going to want to follow along for yourself. Read it for yourself. It's just different than me reading it. I'm just not that good. Starting in verse 6, a man sent, uh, came, sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that everyone might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Verse 9, the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created by him, but the world did not recognize him. He came to what was his own, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who have received him, those who believe in his name, he's given the right to become God's children. Children not born by human parents or by human desire or husband's decision, but by God. Verse 14, now the word became flesh and took up residence among us. We saw his glory The glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth, who came from the Father. 
John testified about him and shouted out, This one was the one whom I said, He who comes after me is greater than I am, because he existed before me. For we have all received from his fullness one gracious gift after another. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came about through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only one, himself God, who is close, who is in closest fellowship with the Father, has made God known. Now, like I said, there's a lot. And you can already tell. Look at the loops and the spirals that he goes through as all of this unfolds. It's kind of crazy. So you have this progressive introduction. And it begins with a man sent from God to testify about the light. And it ends up with that light. Jesus Christ, who's finally been named, making God known. John the Baptist to Jesus Christ, the light to God the Father. So let's just see how the author moves from one to the other and draws us into this process of the most important and brilliant introduction that you're ever going to be a part of. I think it's actually amazing. So really my first point here after this recap is be a witness. That's how I'm going to start it off. Look at verse 6. A man came, sent from God, whose name was John. So last week we learned about the word. We saw how the word caused all things to come to be. The word caused existence. But when this section begins, we immediately get a sharp distinction between the word and this first man that we're introduced to. Now, I don't like to wing around the original language all that much. Um, it's important, it's important to know, it's important to understand. So the Greek of verse 6 literally reads, then came to be a man, or there came to be a man. But the word caused all things to come to be, and this man was the recipient of that process. So what the, what's happening here is the author is trying to make it very clear that this man we're talking about is not the word. That's all he's trying to do at one point, or a piece of his spiral. He is something different, this man. This man was a witness to the light, but he definitely was not the light himself. As we're being introduced to John the Baptist, the author goes to great lengths to make sure we understand that John the Baptist isn't Christ. We'll talk more about that later, uh, later on in the series as we look deeper into this character, John the Baptist. But for now, the author doesn't say just who John the Baptist wasn't. He also tells us who he is, and that's important. If John the Baptist is going to introduce us to someone else, we need to know who it is that we're talking to at first. And so he is described as a witness. He came to testify about the light. So there's a word in Greek that is used to describe a person who has seen something. And that's the way we usually talk about a witness, somebody who's seen something. A witness is a, pair, a person who saw something that he or she can tell other people about. But that's not the word used here. Here, the word that is used is usually translated as testimony. Testimony, that sounds like an old-fashioned word in church. Testimony, 
right? We've replaced that word a lot. I kind of like it. We call it our story, our story, right? That's usually the content that a witness describes. The witness is the person. The testimony is what he or she says. But this verse uses the word for testimony to describe John the Baptist, actually. It's as if the author is saying that John the Baptist is himself the message. He's the whole thing. He's the story. It, 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 it isn't just his words that introduce people to Jesus. It's his whole life. He is the testimony about the light. He came to testify, right? What's great about John the Baptist is that he knew who he was. He was a witness testifying His whole life demonstrated who Jesus was. That was his entire purpose. He was there to introduce Jesus. He understood his role in the process. I like that. He's focused, actually. John the Baptist is radical. We'll look at that later. But he's all about his role in the process. And so the summary of John's life is that he came for one reason, to bear witness about the light so that we might believe through him and by believing have life. His entire mission in his life was to introduce Jesus. Introduce him. It's an introduction. Introductions are important. Now, why did Jesus need to be introduced? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. If Jesus is the logos or the word, if he was before time, that's really the, what that means. He's before time. If he created everything... And then why does he need to be introduced? Why doesn't he just show up? Why, does he, why doesn't he just make himself known? I mean, have you ever thought about that? That would be easy. People are going to go, oh my gosh, I know who this is. To start with, it's not Jesus that needs the introduction, actually. It's us. John the Baptist introduces people to the word, not because the word needs followers, but because people need life. People need life. And this word or true light is the source of life. And that's what people need. That's what we need. Look at verse 9. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So more importantly, witnesses are incredibly important to the culture that Jesus lived in. The Old Testament talks about this actually quite a bit. All right, Especially when there's some sort of dispute or crime is committed. It's not much different in our time. Witnesses are a big deal. Okay? Even with cameras, voice recorders, DNA testing, fingerprinting, court cases are most often, are mostly often decided on the basis of witnesses. A witness is key to knowing the truth. And so John the Baptist comes as a witness so that people can know the truth about Jesus. Later in this gospel, Jesus says to his followers that they too will be witnesses of what they have seen. The same is true for us then, right? As we read about this man who came as a witness to testify about the light, we can be challenged with the invitation to be a witness and testify ourselves. So you can see how the lessons already unfold just right away. This language is really, really intentional by John. Notice that I'm not Actually, and, and I, I, well, maybe you haven't noticed, but what I'm trying to say is 
or what I'm not trying to suggest is that you do anything actually in particular. Because when we start talking about witness and testimony, we conjure up some specific things, right? I'm suggesting that you think of your identity in a certain way, your identity, okay? What do you mean? John the Baptist came as a witness. His life, his being, his identity was all a testimony about Jesus, Messiah, who was coming to bring life to the world. And he did certain things because he was a witness with a particular mission in a particular age to a particular people. His identity caused him to act certain ways. And if we think about ourselves as witnesses, that identity certainly causes us to act certain ways as well. That's what I'm trying to point out here. I don't know what those ways are for you in particular because you have spheres of influence and you have relationships and people in your life that are not in mine. I'm not encouraging you to witness in a way that the term is used with many uh, Christ followers in lots of the circles that we run in. We tend to use the word as a verb to refer to the act of verbally explaining that Jesus died for our sins to someone who doesn't believe that. Being a witness is so much more than that, actually. It might include that. It should include that, probably. But it's really how you understand your life and your role in the world. Your life is a testimony to who God is and how he works in the world. You are a witness. If we have faith in Jesus, we are witnesses to that experience that is already our identity. And understanding it can shape the decisions we make and the interactions that we have. You see how that unfolds, right? Just the way your marriage can be a witness and a testimony to the light in who God is. So look at verse 7. I know I'm jumping around. I'm not going in order, huh? That's because John is like, you know, he loops all around. So this is the way you have to straighten it out. Verse 7, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that everyone might believe through him. So light is simply something that reveals something else. That's what light does, right? That's what we'll find out next. John the Baptist didn't even introduce people to God. He simply introduced them to the light who revealed who God was. And I think a witness is simpler than we think. John came as a witness, and we can follow his example. I think that's a big lesson. Uh, my, my next point here is just open the curtains. Open the curtains. What does that mean? Look at verse 9, 10, and 11. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created by him, but the world did not recognize him. He came to what was his own, but his own people did not receive him. So John the Baptist came as a witness to the light. Now we hear about the light. And the first thing we hear about it is that it was coming into the world. And so John the Apostle, who's writing this, thought the world was really important. That word world is huge to John the Apostle. Again, I don't like winging around the Greek. I'm not winging around, but, you know, sometimes you can just overdo it with that, this original language. But the Greek word world is cosmos. You know this word. It isn't here used to talk about the planet as an object, but to talk about the community 
that lives on this planet. It also is important to realize that John doesn't use it like the Apostle Paul does. The Apostle Paul uses this word cosmos or world um, referring to sin or sinful people. This word is it is everyone, all of us. It's what God created and where Jesus came to. So John uses this word 78 times. I just kind of did a little word search. 78 times he uses this word in his gospel. That's a lot. He uses it another 23 times in the small book or letter, 1 John. That's over half of the times it's used in the entire New Testament. John cares about the idea of the world. This whole prologue is about two characters, the logos or the word and the world and the story of how they met. There's something else. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. He was in the world and the world was created by him, but the world did not recognize him. So there's this TV show. I totally love this show. Lynn and I watch it. It's called Undercover Boss. You ever seen it? I love it. So it's a great show, right? The premise is that the CEO of the company, the owner of the company, he goes undercover in disguise as an entry-level employee or his and her company, right? And they're trained to do the job and interact with other employees at this entry level. And what happens is the boss gets a whole new feel for what's happening in the company, candid comments, right? And employees, real experiences of what work is really like and what actually is going on. And they give him a whole new perspective about things. It's kind of cool. But that situation's not normal. It's unusual. And those employees that are working next to the boss, they might, uh, they, they don't know what's going on, right? They don't know who he is. To them, that person's just another entry-level worker. That creates tension that's fascinating to observe. It's all about that tension, right? <laughs> that's the tension that the author of this book is describing, actually. Jesus, the Logos, or the Word, who is the source of existence, comes to earth, and nobody recognizes him. But it gets worse. Not, not only did, he not, he, he, did people not recognize him, but they reject him, actually. Look at verse 11. He came to his own, his own people did not receive him. So not only, they, they don't recognize him, but they reject him. His own people reject him. Have you ever experienced this kind of rejection? People that you thought should welcome you, but don't. Your own people exclude you and reject you. It's, it's a terrible place to be, actually. It's disorienting. It makes you want to run away. It makes you want to just forget those people, right? That's what's remarkable about, remarkable about Jesus. He doesn't turn away. He doesn't run away. In fact, it is the opposite. He knows that he's going to be rejected. But he goes to incredible lengths to come into this world. It's all captured by that beautiful phrase in verse 14. Look at this phrase. Now the word became flesh. It's hard to wrap our minds around this, actually. When you pause, you, you ponder the word logos. Logos means the divine reason implicit in the cosmos. 
ordering it and giving it form and meaning. The pre-existence of Jesus. That's all wrapped up in that word, right? We already heard that it was coming into the world. We already heard that the word of the Logos came to his people. But now we find out, and it's shocking. It's shocking. We'd expect the word of the Logos to come to this world in power and radiance and beauty. But that's not how it works. We start to understand why people didn't recognize the word or logos and maybe even why they rejected it. Why? Because the logos came in disguise. The logos became flesh. So look at this word became. Think about this word became. The logos became flesh. There's so many reasons why this is a bad idea. I would not design it like this. It waters down the truth of who God is. It's it's offensive. How can God become flesh and get dirty like this? Right? People are going to be confused. They're going to think less of God. They're going to think too highly of humanity. Not to mention that it's ridiculous to want to do this. Why give up heaven for earth? Sounds totally absurd. That's how it happened. Right? The word became flesh. Light came into the world. The word became flesh to make something known. The light came to reveal something, just as John the Baptist was a witness and testimony to the truth. The light of Jesus shows us something. The image that I think of is like opening the curtains, opening the blinds. Blinds that cover windows. Opening curtains or blinds lets the light in. And when you do it, light enters into a room. So if we have a role to play in Jesus coming into the world, one way to do it is to open the window coverings up. When the blinds are open and our our house and rooms fill with light, that's good. Light is good. Light shows us what is there. Sometimes have the tendency to make things more complicated than they need to be. I know I do. We believe God's real. We believe God's at work in the world. We believe that people need God and that they're lost without him. We believe that Jesus is the light. We need to, all we need to do is let the light in. We need to let what is true be seen and known. That's true in our lives, right? It's true in the lives of people all around us. Light reveals truth. The truth leads us to God. Sometimes people desperately want the light, but they're afraid of what they might see. It shouldn't actually shock us. Sometimes people actively resist the light because they don't want to see the truth. Sometimes people have just forgotten that light is there. And sometimes it is covered up on purpose, right? Opening up the curtains or the blinds will look different for different people. Some people need things opened up on their pain. You met somebody who is in pain. They're hiding it out of shame, maybe guilt, fear. We can help them see it, acknowledge it, face it. Light often reveals pain, right? Others need curtains opened up. They just have maybe a specific need. They're alone. They're needy. They're they're trying to hide it. We can find those needs, help to meet those needs. 
Others uh, need the blinds opened up on their confusion. They're just going through life, not really understanding what they're doing or why they're doing it. We can ask gentle questions and help them towards satisfaction, understanding, and peace. But opening the blinds on pain and needs and confusion is kind of scary. There's a reason why they're closed. Look all around the world that we live in, the people you know, that you engage with each and every week. People got the curtains shut. The blinds closed, right? There's a lot of fear about what we'll find when the light comes into a room. That's where this passage reaches its conclusion. It's amazing John the Baptist has introduced us to Jesus. Jesus is the light that reveals the truth. And at the end of the passage, you find out what that truth is. Now, let's, let's move on. Here's this third point. I know it seems like it's going slow, but the nature and personality of God kind of comes next in some ex- explanations. The nature or the ethos, the essence of who God is and, 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 his, and the personality of God. It's two things. Look at verses 14 through 18 now. The word became flesh and took up residence among us. We saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth who came from the Father. John testified about him and shouted out, this one was the one about whom I said. He who comes after me is greater than I am because he existed before me. We've all received from his fullness one gracious gift after another. For the law was given through Moses... But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Those are key verses. No one's ever seen God, the only one, himself God, who is in closest fellowship with the Father, has made God known. So John's gospel is all about Jesus. But even Jesus isn't all about Jesus. Jesus didn't come so that we can know him. Jesus came so that we can know God, God the Father. Jesus came to reveal the Father. There's a lot said about God in these verses, but everything reaches its climax with two big words, grace and truth. Here's where I want to camp out a little bit. John, or twice John says that Jesus brings grace and truth. Look at the second half of verse 17. But grace and truth came about through Jesus Christ. So, The next verse says that Jesus makes God known. So if grace and truth came through Jesus Christ to make God known, then this is what Jesus makes known about God. He is grace and truth. God the Father is the grace and truth that came through Jesus. Jesus. So Jesus combines these two things in 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 a remarkable way. This is stunning again. What John is saying is that Jesus became flesh so that he could be a window into who God is. That's why he became flesh. And when you look through that window, you see grace and truth. Truth is the nature of God. Grace is the personality of God. If you're taking notes, that's what you write down. Truth is the nature of God. Grace is the personality of God. Truth and Truth is the nature of God. That means that God is what is true. God is what is true. The simplest way to see this is just to say, God is. I know. Doesn't sound that simple though, right? God is? Yes. In the Old Testament, this is why John brings up Moses. When Moses asked God for a name to refer to him by, God said, tell them, I am sent you. 
What? What kind of name is I am? Man. Well, it's a name for something that is truth. What? God is. He exists. He is truth. He's the standard by which all things are measured. We don't have access to anything higher than God because there isn't anything higher than God. He is truth. He's the definition of what is. That's why it doesn't make sense to call God unfair. That would require a standard of justice above God that he doesn't live up to. God is the standard of justice. For John to say that truth came through Jesus is to say that Jesus reveals what truly is. Jesus makes known what is. When you think about Jesus in those terms, it makes sense that John would constantly use the metaphor of light to refer to him. Jesus is the light. Jesus reveals what God is. God is what is. <laughs> I love that, actually. Jesus, the light, comes in and shows us what is there. So what's there? If truth is the ethos or the nature of God, then what is God like? That's where grace fits in. If truth is the nature of God, then grace is the personality of God. The light of Jesus reveals that God is grace. Grace is probably one of the most commonly used words in um, church and in the lives of Christ followers in all their circles, right? It is at the core of the gospel. Grace is everything, right? But it's something I, I think misunderstood a lot. I mean a lot. The most common definition I've heard of grace, and you've heard it too, it is unmerited favor. Have you heard that? Unmerited favor. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you to be really careful when you say that in the company of describing the, or defining grace. People will say that grace is the fact that God shows goodwill towards us even though we don't deserve it. Okay? Now, first of all, let me say that God does show goodwill towards us and we don't deserve it. We have done nothing to earn God's, God's favor. That is crystal clear. Okay, But the word for grace does not actually imply anything about whether we deserve favor or not. Yeah. The Greek word being used here is charis. And that word means simply favor or goodwill. Sometimes it's used for favor that is earned. Sometimes it's used for favor that isn't earned. It simply means that someone wants your best they want good for you, not evil. This is important because sometimes Christ followers can't say that God has favor on people without, in the same breath, reminding people that they don't deserve it. We say God loves you, but we have to immediately add, even though you don't deserve it. Now, you don't think I'm right? I don't deserve the favor of my wife. I absolutely don't deserve the favor of my wife. She is a special person. I've done plenty to not deserve her favor. But every time she says, I love you, Ben, she doesn't add, even though you don't deserve it. 
That would be totally unkind, wouldn't it? You see? I don't, I, I, sometimes we just need to know that God shows us his favor, that he wants good for us. The word grace simply refers to God's favor without any reference to whether we deserve it or not. The basic orientation of God towards his creation is goodwill. He wants the best for his creation. You see? The nature of God is that he is what is true. The personality of God is that he looks upon this world, this cosmos, with favor, with grace. You see? Do you believe that? I'm always amazed that one of the most basic things about God is one of the things that takes us the longest to really believe. In reality, it's a journey, man. It's a long journey for all of us. It's so hard to really believe that God looks upon us with favor, that he wants the best for us. It's so hard to live actually with grace. It's hard for everybody. John the Baptist has introduced us to Jesus, the light The light has revealed something. The light has shown us what we couldn't fully see any other way. The light has shown us God. And we see God, or when we see God, we see grace. So our our encouragement is simply to see God. And when we see God, we experience then grace. And grace is the key. And that's, that's really coming to a conclusion here. Grace is the key to coming to Jesus and believing in him so that you can know life. You have to believe that God wants what's best for you. He wants the best for you. And you have to believe in grace and God's favor towards you. There's no way you can come to Jesus if you don't believe in grace. No way. Grace is the key to living also life in Christ. Let's face it, life's hard, life's difficult. There's so many difficulties out there, right? Sickness, failure, broken relationships, accidents, disappointments, our own disappointment, restlessness. How do we get by in this world? By the grace of God. That's why grace permeates every page of the New Testament and why Peter tells his readers, oh, I like Peter in the way he writes to uh, people. He says, I've written to you briefly, all right, in order to encourage you and testify, by the way, that this is true, um, that this is the true grace of God, stand fast in it. He wants people to stand fast in the grace of God. Our lives have to be grounded in the grace or favor of God. That's the key. And finally, grace is the key to following the pattern that John the Apostle has given to us. Grace is the key to living like John the Baptist. That's who we're supposed to live like, actually, our Lives can't be a witness or testify if we haven't experienced grace. We can't open the curtains and the blinds to let the light in if we're afraid of the truth. But, we, but when we experience grace, we're grounded in God's favor, then truth is not a threat. It's not a threat at all. The truth is hopeful. The truth is good news. When you experience grace, your life becomes a testimony then to what we've seen here. Grace 
is the basic personality of God. God is. God is grace. Now, I'm going to say this, and then you need to sit still. What does this have to do with me? I know it's the end of the service, and I go through it pretty quickly most of the time. I mean, it's not, a, it's not rocket science. I'm going to recap things and put it in practical. What has it got to do with me? It just, should just be a reminder of what you've already seen and making it practical. So hold on. Here we go. Because this is, a, I, I mean, if you don't do this, then forget it. The whole thing is just like, oh, that was a great story about undercover boss. I'm going to watch that. Okay, here it is. Introductions are important, number one. The introduction in this prologue is a model for us. So that's clear, right? It's, it's important and, and, and it, it's a model that everybody needs to pay attention to. It's not as if God needed someone to introduce him to the world. He made it. He did this, right? But he chooses it for our sake. He reveals himself slowly, gently through the lives of other people. Who are the other people? Well, well that's, uh, that's you and I, right? So first, the author of the book, John the Apostle, introduces to another John, John the Baptist. John the Baptist introduces us to Jesus, and then Jesus introduces us to God the Father. The importance of this path of introduction is that it's for our sake we're being introduced to God, but it's also, like I said, the model we're being shown how to make this introduction for others And we're being invited to take part in the process. You see? It's it's, it's the point. We're a part of the process of introducing people to God. Number two, Jesus came so that God could be known. That is Jesus' ultimate purpose, God being known. So in the second half of the prologue, right here, he completes the cosmic introduction to who Jesus is. This is the logos. He is the word that was before time and creation, but it's not, he's not the point. Jesus himself serves something else, someone else, God the Father. Keep that in mind and keep that in focus, God the Father. People people need God the Father. Number three, grace is the key to coming to Jesus and believing in him so that you can know life. You have to believe that God wants the best for you. This is hard for everybody a lot of times. You have to believe in grace and God's favor towards you. The light has shown us God. And when we see God, we see grace. Do you see God? Do you see him? When we see God, we experience grace. Maybe you haven't been able to see God. I got a feeling that might be why you're here, though. Even if someone drug you here. Right? God has his brilliant ways. Doesn't he? Someone, someone was bearing witness and said, I think you need to come to church with me. Would you come to church with me? Come to church with me. They got great donuts. We, when we see God, we experience grace. Do you see God? Here's the last one. Let your life be a witness and testimony like John the Baptist. It should be pretty clean, clear. Open the curtains and blinds to the light so that the truth may be known. That's what you're supposed to be. It's actually pretty radical to do that. 
Have you ever just flung the curtains open in the morning when people are still sleeping? It's not a very popular thing to do. Maybe open them a little slower and be glad that when the truth is known, what is true is that God is for his creation. God is on its side. He favors the world. He favors us. God is grace. Oh, isn't that rich? Isn't that thick? Isn't that amazing? Father in heaven, thank you that you are for your creation. Now, help us to get our arms around these things. It's going to take some work. So as we journey together, and draw this truth out of this wonderful prologue and, and, and further. Oh man, I'm praying God that not only will we find out further who Jesus is, but that who you are, God, and experience more and more of this grace to its fullness, this one gift after another over and over again. I pray God that we would be a church and families, a household of faith, Christ followers that just ooze witness and testimony to the community that we live in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, you guys. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.dalechristian.com.